Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. Galatians 5, 16 to 21. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's God's word for his people today. You may be seated and let's pray once again and ask for God's help. So God, we long for more and more that the song we just sang would be our daily experience. And we don't just sing that Jesus is our living hope, but that he is. So give us eyes to see him by your Spirit's power in the pages of your word. And teach us this day how to find our satisfaction in him alone as we walk by the Spirit, we pray. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had one of those weeks where you're being pulled in seemingly every direction. Like every time you turn around, there's another something or someone needing your attention. And seemingly your attention is the only attention that can satisfy it. You're the only, you're the only answer. And those times when the very real needs of every sphere of your life come together in a perfect storm. Maybe you're in a time like that right now. Or you can at least remember the last time you were in a season like that. Because we've all experienced it. And I also don't know anyone who can't wait for it to happen again. None of you were like, how's your week? Oh, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. I hope this week's really hard. Like, don't, none of you are hoping for that. So, here's the bad news. Today's text says the daily experience of God's people in this life is like being pulled in different directions. And this daily experience is perpetual. It's constant. Unlike our calendars or seasons of life which ebb and flow, God's people live in a raging battle as they run the race of the Christian life. But there's not only bad news in our text. The good news is that the daily experience of God's people in this life, of being perpetually pulled in different directions, isn't a battle we fight alone. So this morning we'll look at the nature of the battle, the promise in the battle, and the call to battle. The nature of the battle, the promise of the battle, and the call to battle. So first, the nature of the battle. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I'm not a big fan, but I see it sometimes when I watch SportsCenter in the lead up to a boxing or an MMA match. The promoters will use the final weigh-in as a last marketing 
push. And the opponents who have been training for months finally come face to face for the first time and the last time before they actually meet in the ring. And often, because it's been so amped up, things get a little heated when they finally come face to face. I saw a recent clip of one fighter uh, when they went head to head just talking smack and mouthing off and dancing around. And I thought the other guy who stood there with the most angry, focused eyes I might have ever seen in my life was going to start the fight right then. That's the picture we get in verse 17 of the flesh and the spirit facing off. They are about to hit each other. They are in a constant conflict. The flesh refers to humanity's sinful nature, right? Every person, everywhere, in any time and in every culture, is a sinner from birth, right? We don't sin and then become sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Human nature is radically corrupt. The word radical comes from the Latin word for root, Right? So radical, together with corruption, means sin isn't just something we do, nor is it just something external to us. But rather, sin has corrupted everyone to their root, the very core of their nature. Right? So we sin because we are sinners. From the moment we're conceived, we don't have to do something or we're not born neutral, and then we sin and become sinners, we sin because we are sinners. It's what's natural to us. That's the flesh. On the other side of the battle is the Spirit. And we're helped here by looking at God's promise to give the Holy Spirit to His people in Ezekiel 36. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be made clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So we have the flesh. How does it come in conflict? Well, it's because by faith, when you, by grace, trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, when God saves sinners, he gives them a new heart. He puts within them his spirit so that they will walk according to his ways. But in that moment, the old flesh, the nature, is not totally removed. So we have this constant conflict where the spirit, who is God's gift to his children, produces in opposition to the flesh, both a desire and ability to live with God, to walk with God, to live for God. Before, all we wanted was us. Now, there's this desire and ability to live with God. And the Spirit prompts and guides God's people then to think and to feel and to believe and to behave, to live for God's glory according to God's word. So our nature is inclined away from God. But when God saves sinners, he changes them, gives them a new nature, a new heart, gives them his spirit, which causes them to live in the ways God created us to live. And verse 17 says these two opponents, the flesh and the spirit, are locked in this raging battle. Now notice the arena of the battle. 
Where, where is this battle fought? In the arena of our desires. Desire. A football teams play on a football field, basketball teams on a court. Well, the flesh and the spirit battle it out in the arena of human desire. That's interesting, isn't it? It's not primarily our knowledge. It's not even primarily our behavior. But the arena is the human heart, what we want, what we love, what we desire. And we understand this, don't we? Have you ever done something and someone said to you, what were you thinking? And that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Because you and that person both know you weren't thinking. You weren't thinking. And that's true. You weren't thinking. What were you doing? You were wanting. You desired it. You wanted it. And you went and did it. Even if you knew better. You do know better. But that didn't stop you. So the spirit and the flesh are, are locked in this raging battle over our desires. The flesh opposes the spirit to stop God's children from doing what we, by the Spirit's guidance and power, and that new desire and heart God gave us, want to do. We want to live for him, but the flesh opposes that. So we don't do that because our sinful nature rises up within us, and we still have these desires that are contrary to the Spirit and what the Spirit prompts us to desire. And the Spirit, on the other side, opposes the flesh by giving the Christian the power and ability to overcome the desire to live for ourself rather than for God. God's gift of the Holy Spirit within us and the new hearts that desire and beat for God opposes our sinful nature's desire. So we're, we're, this battle is raging in the arena of our desires. And whether you're aware of it or not, brother and sister, Everything you do every day flows from a desire that is either of the flesh or of the spirit. Everything. Every, everything, every, from the littlest thing to the most important decisions of our day, the path we choose to walk is either according to the decisions and the, de or the desires of the flesh or according to to the Spirit. So that's the nature of the battle, and a few things we can take from it. First, if, if this is true, and we think it is, then you are actually your greatest enemy. You're your biggest problem. You. We like to think, don't we, that the problems are out there. Or if I just took care of this or cut myself off from that, then I wouldn't be tempted by those things. The fact of the matter is, we can shut off one aspect of whatever it is that might, we might desire, only to have another one pop up here. Because the problem lies within us. It's our desires. And these verses show us that the greatest threat lies within us. That does not mean the outside world doesn't play a part. It is, it is affected by sin. But the age we live in 
is defined at the very beginning of this letter by Paul in Galatians 1 as this present evil age. It's true. We live in an evil age. But God never lets that detract from the fact that sin has ruined us and continues to live within us. That the, the sinful nature still battles within us. And it's us. It's natural to us. And though God has truly saved us in Jesus... And we're not sinners anymore in his eyes. We are completely justified in Jesus. We are righteous. We stand righteous in Jesus' name. We sung all those truths this morning, and that is very true. The sinful flesh, though, has not been fully removed from us. And so our perpetual battle isn't with others or other things in this world. Our fight is within us. We're our greatest enemy. We're our own biggest problem. But because our sinful nature hasn't been fully removed when God saves us, you know, many Christians get discouraged in those seasons when the battle seems to be heating up or raging more. When you desire things more than God. That can be a moment where we're very discouraged or we're tempted to doubt God and his salvation of us. So I want to say, secondly, yes, we're our greatest problem, but that does not mean that God has not saved you. Right? The raging battle is actually evidence God has saved you, not evidence that he hasn't. Those times when the flesh opposes the spirit and it and those desires strongly oppose the Spirit. Those times often come with that strong temptation to doubt. I must not be a Christian. You know, if God saved me, but I still want this sin. And, and sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. I want I, what I want to do. I don't want to do what I want to do. I don't do. Well, if that's still me, well, then I must not be a Christian. But brothers and sisters, the nature of the Christian Life is a perpetual battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the fact that you even desire God in the slightest is an act of the Holy Spirit, an evidence of his saving presence within you. You wouldn't want God. You wouldn't care that you were living for yourself unless God woke you up and gave you this new heart within you. Right? A Christian is a child of God who battles against the flesh by the power of the Spirit. That, that's the nature of the battle. It's not evidence God hasn't saved you. It's evidence that he has. One of the evidences. So don't let your being in the battle tempt you to doubt God's salvation of you. When the battle's raging, let that actually encourage you to press on in opposing the flesh through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, how do we do that? How do we press on in the raging battle? If that's the nature of the battle, how do we press on? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I stare my own flesh and my sin and my, those desires in the face, I feel like I'm outnumbered. I feel like I'm in the underdog, right? Have you ever seen a movie or a documentary with a battle scene? And uh, you, you see the sides. One is vastly outnumbered. And then the camera always goes to the eyes of those guys who are outnumbered, and you can see fear. And then what happens next? 
Well, then they get to the courageous, brave leader of the vastly outnumbered size who gives a rousing speech about dying for glory and honor, and they go rushing into battle and do that. They die. And sometimes in our fight against the flesh, it can seem like that, like we're outnumbered. We keep failing. It's just how it's going to be. It might be a battle, but it's inevitable. But actually, God doesn't send us into the raging battle with just a rousing speech for you to inevitably fail. God sends his people into the battle with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Though the nature of the battle is perpetual and raging, we also have, secondly, the promise in the battle. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not desire the, the you will not gratify the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. So two things to notice about this promise. The first thing to notice about it, this battle that rages within us, is actually it's not an equal fight. It's not an equal fight. The Spirit will always overcome the flesh. Always. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify. It's not an equal fight. If the Christian walks by the Spirit, they won't give in to desires that are contrary to the Spirit. Okay, so if, like I said, everything we do every day flows from a desire that is either of the flesh or of the Spirit, then when we carry out a desire of the flesh, it isn't because the Spirit got knocked out by an underdog. It happens sometimes in sports. That, that's not the case. If we carry out a desire of the flesh, it isn't because the Spirit didn't have the power to overcome the flesh. But rather, it's we turned away from the Spirit in order to gratify the sinful desire. The Spirit's power was available to us in the moment of temptation, but we chose, rather than to walk by that power, to gratify the desire of the sinful flesh. We chose to walk by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. And so the way forward in those moments is to actually know the battle is not an equal fight. No matter how strong that temptation is, you can conquer it by the Spirit. You can walk in purity and holiness. It is available to you. It's not an equal fight. No matter how strong the sinful desire is, the Spirit can always overcome it. And the second thing then to notice about the promise of this battle is that it's not an extraordinary fight. Or extraordinary. It depends on where you're from. <laughs> now I can't even say it right. Extraordinary. It's not an equal fight, nor is it extraordinary. Right? In, in fights, you can go find them you know, on, on YouTube, the most famous knockouts of all time or whatever. And sometimes we think we have to do something special like that to actually overcome the desires of the sinful flesh. Like we have to muster everything up when we're on our last breath and do some triple spin, flip kick knockout that came out of nowhere to actually take down the flesh. But notice what verse 16 tells us to do. And it's not very extraordinary. It says walk walk. It doesn't say do something special. 
It, does, it tells us to do something so unextraordinary and mundane that most of you don't even know how many steps you've already taken today. No, no, most of you don't have to tell yourself to walk. You just, you just do it. You've been doing it. You do it. It's, it's unextraordinary. It's mundane. And God says, walk by my Spirit. He does not expect you to do it even on your own, as mundane and unextraordinary as it is. He doesn't just say walk. He says walk by my Spirit. Now, for many of us in this room, we come from church contexts where the Holy Spirit wasn't talked about much. When it was talked about, it was about the scary excesses of the charismatic movement, and we got to be on guard from those things. And it was a theological controversy about whether the more miraculous gifts continue or whether they don't. But in church contexts like ours, we're mostly cessationist, we've almost all but eliminated the Holy Spirit from our lives. I mean, most Christians I know, when I ask them how they're doing or how their daily walk with Jesus is going, talk about all the things they are doing or all the things they wish they weren't doing or aren't doing. And as a pastor, I always get it. It's like, it's, it's immediate, like the, the, the conversation goes into guilt trip mode. I'm just asking how you're doing. I'm not telling you to confess that you haven't read your Bible like today. You know, but because I'm a pastor, like that's immediate. Everyone's like, I'm trying to weasel my way in to try and you know tell you how bad you are or something but 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 even without that if i just ask we hardly ever talk about the holy spirit or yeah you know discourage or this or that and all those things are okay but even hardly ever does the conversation ever get to the holy spirit now this is not a sermon about whether you, continuationism or cessationism you can go to Pastor Mike, who's teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Bible study hour, if you want to talk more about those things, and, and we will. And, and, but don't hear what I'm saying or what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is, for most church circles like ours, we functionally live as if there's only two people in the Trinity. There's only two persons, I should say, in the Trinity. And we leave off the Holy Spirit altogether. And if that's you, brother and sister, then you're not walking the way verse 16 tells you to. Or at the very least, you're unaware of the amazing gift that God has given you through Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit. So just remember with me the flow of Galatians for a moment, because this is not coming out of nowhere. Paul's not like, i got to wrap this thing up and figure out some applications. Let's throw in the Holy Spirit real quick. This is, this is the pinnacle of his argument. He says, remember, it, the through justification, that declaration that you are not a sinner because you are completely righteous in Jesus, that comes by faith alone, in grace alone, in Jesus alone. And you are now freed from the curse of the law and have become a son of Abraham. Right? So you are a full heir of what God promised way long ago, and what is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ today, that you are an heir of the promise if your faith is in Jesus alone, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your gender, regardless of age, regardless of station. If you are in Jesus, you're an heir of the promise, part of which 
was the promised Holy Spirit. You are a partaker of the Holy Spirit, which means five points. The giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was a central part of God's plan to save sinners from this present evil age. And we are no longer part of that age because we have been delivered by Jesus into the age of the Spirit. This is a new era. The previous era of salvation history was marked by the law. And what could the law do? It could only condemn. Here's all the demands. You can't do them. It is the impossible mountain to climb. And if you try it, all you'll find is curse. We don't do it. All it can point out is our need for a Savior. But as verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There is a new era. These, these are not just throwaway verses. Paul's saying this is the central to God's plan to save sinners, to remove them from the present evil age and deliver them into the era of the Spirit. Because the law can't give you the ability to keep the law. It, can't, it has no power to oppose the flesh. It just reveals how powerful the flesh is. If you're under the law, you can't oppose the flesh. You'll just continue to sin and the law will condemn. But unlike the, unlike the spirit, excuse me, the law can't overcome the flesh. It can only just show us how sinful we really are. But by faith, we're God's people, led by the spirit. And in a new age of life, a new way of living, because Jesus saved his people through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus is Lord over all. And we often talk about his life, death, and resurrection, but we leave off the ascension. And today is actually Ascension Sunday. And we don't, we don't often talk about the ascension uh, because as one of my friends puts it, the Bible rarely talks about it. Only, only in two places, I th we think, like very specifically anyway. And it, it is kind of weird, isn't it? I'll quote him now so that you don't think I'm, you know, being flippant. But he says, it is kind of weird that a middle-aged Jewish man begins flying into the air. <laughs> so we leave it off when we're talking with our neighbors about the gospel. Right? And it also seems like a bad plan to us because it... Wouldn't it be better if Jesus stayed? If Jesus was here? But we celebrate Jesus' ascension because it marks the dawning of the age of the Spirit. As Jesus poured out his Spirit at Pentecost to all his people from his throne as a mark of his reign over all. So the proof that Jesus reigns, even in the midst of the chaos of this world, is that his people walk by the Spirit. That's, that's proof. In the nitty-gritty of life, as you walk by the Spirit, that is an evidence that Jesus is reigning on high. And that really isn't as spiritual as it sounds, walk by the Spirit. It's actually ordinarily practical. Because not only does verse 16 define it as just walking, but verses 13 and to 15 that we looked at last time give us a fuller context of what walking by the Spirit means. Walking by the Spirit is serving others in love as Jesus loved us. You see how we're not talking about continuationism or cessationism now? 
Serving others in love as Jesus loved you. That's primarily what it means to walk by the Spirit. What walking by the flesh is, is biting, devouring, and consuming others. Because you're loving yourself rather than others. You're serving self rather than others. And so you see, walking by the Spirit isn't extraordinary. It's very ordinary. It's practical, too. Every day you're either serving self or serving others. You're either loving self or loving God and your neighbor. And so that's why verse 19 says, whether you're living for self or God is very obvious. Because biting, devouring, and consuming one another or the works of the flesh are evident. It's clear. You can know. Right now, today, you can look on this past week. Was I walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh? Were you loving yourself or were you loving God and others? These works are evident. The first three all have to do with sinful distortions of God's good gift of sexuality and sexual activity within the bounds of covenant marriage between a man and a woman. These are all distortions to serve ourself and consume others through sexual immorality, impurity, or sensuality. And any sexual activity or expression outside of the covenant of marriage is the flesh at work not the spirit any whether it's hetero or same-sex desires if it's not within the bounds of covenant marriage it's a work of the flesh not the spirit and idolatry and sorcery deal with worship and trust worship and trust anything or anyone that takes god's rightful place of the throne of our hearts Anything that we love or worship more than God is an idol, whether you bow down to it or not, whether you have a little statue of it on your shelf or not. And you actually might not think you're a wizard. <laughs> you're like, I don't have any problem with sorcery. But the, the word here actually gets at the attempt to manipulate circumstances to bring about what you want rather than trust God in the circumstances and what he's doing in them. So you're a wizard whether you put on a hat or not and have a long beard. If you've ever tried to be like, I can, I can manipulate, I can pull the strings behind the curtain and I'm going to try and, try and have this play out how I want to. That's what the word actually gets at. The next eight words all deal with social sins. All deal with social sins. Enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. They're all social distortions of rather than loving others the way Jesus loved us, we bite, devour, and consume others for the satisfaction, the gratification of whatever it is we're desiring in that moment. So rather than love for God, what rules when these things abound is love of self. And when self takes priority and the church doesn't walk by the Spirit, these things abide in the community. The next two are sins of excess. Sins of excess. Drunkenness is being filled with alcohol rather than being filled with the Spirit, which Paul talks about in Ephesians. What happens when you're drunk is you lose control of yourself rather than being controlled by the Spirit or 
walk by the Spirit, as he's already been saying. So you live for yourself and your own glory rather than live for God's glory because you've lost control. And when you lose control, what takes over? What's really in here? It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means what comes natural to humans is sin. And when we're out of our minds, we live for ourselves rather than walking by the Spirit. And so being out of control is a state ripe then for the excess of the flesh to carry out our worst desires. So there's a, uh, orgies can be sexual, it, it can be uh, alcohol-related uh, wild partings, carousing. There's lots of um, debate about what this word's actually getting at. But really, I think at the bottom line, no matter what, however you parse it, what's really fundamental in that word is that you are carrying out your own worst desires because you're out of control. So the excess of the flesh is coming out. And really, it really, this is one of the words that gets at our basest desires. And so it, it gets to the, the fact that the things you would never do, you do very easily when you're filled with wine rather than with God's word. That's what it's getting at. It's just the excess, the flesh on steroids. And so you can think, or if you think, well, I had some clean living this week, so I escaped this part of the sermon. Paul knows people like us. <laughs> the last phrase gets us. And things like these. Like, ah, almost had it. <laughs> and things like these. Which then the Holy Spirit goes, here's some of those things for for those of you who are wondering. I'm not the Holy Spirit. He's telling you right now, not me. And things like these. Um, I think what Paul's getting at at this last one uh, reminds me of a couple summers ago, a tree uh, fell on our house and we had some water damage, of course, uh, happened in a storm. And then when the contractor was fixing things, they found water damage in, in weird spots. Um, and he said in that moment, water always finds a way. Water always finds a way. It, 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 water can uh, go against gravity when it needs to because it's going to find a way to be level. So it will always find a way. And this list isn't exhaustive uh, because the flesh will always find a way to tempt you to gratify its desires. And so that might discourage you in the battle. Because like, if this is what's within me, and this is the battle, and it's always going to find a way, and I know myself, uh, you, you can be very discouraged at this moment. And you should be. Because if you're alone in the fight, you're powerless. But we have the promised Holy Spirit. God did not send us into the fight alone. He gave us the very thing that will always overcome the desires of the flesh. And so we don't sit back and do nothing, which then thirdly leads us to the call to battle, the call to the battle. Look at the end of verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So again, two things to notice about the call. The first thing to notice in the call is the warning. There is a warning. Uh, Warnings in the Bible aren't opposed to God's promises. They're one of God's means to fulfill his promises. So he says, if you walk by the Spirit, promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, how does he get us to walk by the Spirit? One of it is he says, do not walk according to the flesh. If you walk according to the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom. They're guardrails. They're meant to wake us up. When the desires of the flesh are flashing in our face, the warning should as well. Dead end. Danger. Don't go this way. How can I not go this way? Walk by the Spirit. So warnings keep us in the fight. Warnings keep us in the fight. Because since there is a battle going on, we must fight. And the battle we're fighting is of eternal importance. If you do such things, you will not inherit the kingdom. Now, in light of verses 16 and 18, walk by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh. You are not under the law. In light of that, the phrase, those who do such things, doesn't mean if you sin. It can't. Because the sinful nature still is within us. The flesh is still opposed. And it will be there until your last breath or Jesus comes back. So it does not, those who do such things don't mean once or doesn't mean you sin, you continue to sin. Do such things is in opposition to walk by the Spirit. What are your, what, what's your life characterized by, in other words? Right? If you walk by the flesh rather than the Spirit, you won't inherit the kingdom because you're characterized by sin. That's what you're walking by. You're carrying out what's natural to you, not the Spirit. So it's not that we never sin, but walking by the Spirit means we're not characterized by sin. We hate it. It's not that we don't ever have those sinful desires, but that we fight them. We hate them. We hate when they do, when they do take precedence in our hearts over the Spirit. When we, we hate it that we step away from the Spirit and gratify the sinful flesh. We long to not do that. That's, that's the characterization of walking by the Spirit. Sinning is not, is not what he means by those who do such things. It means we're not characterized by it. And so those who are characterized by the things in verses 19 to 21 obviously belong to the realm of the flesh. That's why he says it's, it's evident. It, it, it's not meant to say, if you've ever done one of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. Or if you give in to the satisfaction of these and gratify the desires of the flesh, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. That's not Paul's warning. His warning is, what is your life characterized by? Those who walk by the Spirit will have victory, not always, but increasing victory over the desires of the flesh. And so, for those who walk by the Spirit, we must not first gather up our strength and try to stand in the fight alone when those desires and temptations come. They will come. And when they do, we must first remember who we are and what we've been given. We have the Holy Spirit. We're sons of God, freed from the power and curse of sin. We do have the power. We're no longer under its power. Sin no longer has dominion over us. 
And so we can fight it by the Spirit. And we're sons of God then who walk by the Spirit. That's what the warnings meant us to do. Don't walk that way. Walk by the Spirit. And so secondly, walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? That's the call. The call is to walk by the Spirit. Well, let's work this out a little bit. So that I hope to show you that it's, it is actually practical. This is very practical. One of the main things the Holy Spirit does is exalt Jesus. It points us to Jesus. So, how do we walk by the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh? How do we walk by the Spirit when those desires of the flesh surge within us? Well, we've got to get at the level of our desire. At our desire. Now, I do not mean, I do not mean we shouldn't use tools. Let me just first say that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have internet filters or, or, you know, we should keep ourselves out of situations where we know we're uniquely tempted. I'm not saying we get rid of good tools, good accountability, and good methods. What I'm, what I'm saying is, in order to have victory over those desires and be characterized by someone who walks by the Spirit, we have to fight in the arena the battle's being fought in. We don't play football on a basketball court. So we need to fight the flesh in the battle arena of our desires. We have to get to the level of our desires. You have to get to the underlying, deeper desire that flesh is grasping at. What, why, why am I going after this, that, or the other? What, what am I trying to be satisfied, what is trying to be satisfied by that desire and going after that thing? And then, by the Spirit, gratify it by seeking its fulfillment in Jesus instead. That's where we got to fight. That's walking by the Spirit. It's not going into the third heaven with Paul and having visions. As amazing as that would be. Walking by the Spirit is fighting sin by seeking your fulfillment in Jesus. All right, so let's do this with a couple things. Uh, when jealousy rises up, what is it that you're trying to what, what is it that you want that somebody else has? Whether it's a thing or reputation or whatever it is. Fame, a life that you like on Instagram that you really know it's not real anyways. It's probably edited 14 different ways from Sunday, but you still want it. Whatever it is, when jealousy rises up, how do you fight by the Spirit? Well, you walk by the Spirit by saying, I'm not going to be satisfied if I get what someone else has. As soon as I get that, I'm going to want something else. We'll only be satisfied when I find my all in Jesus. Right? Or how about sinful anger? Sinful anger. There is righteous anger. So don't, don't get distracted by, well, sometimes anger is okay. Good. Let's talk about the bad anger. Sinful anger, fits of rage, flows when you don't get your way. Whichever, whatever it is, something happened that you didn't want to happen. Something you value or wanted, you were stopped from getting it, whatever it might be. And then you get angry because you put yourself in the place of God. And what do I mean? You know better, and you know what's best, and so sinful anger is a rage against control or a rage for control. So we walk by the Spirit by not attempting to control the world. 
but rather trusting in God's plan. That no matter what I might want, even good things, I can attempt, or my anger comes out when I don't get what I want. But I have to walk by the Spirit and trust in God's plan by saying, if God gave me his very own son, will he not also give me everything I need? So then you can have peace in the moment of rage when you put your trust in God. You see, I mean, this is walking by the Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not the more miraculous things. This is not, this is evidently and eminently practical for everyday life. Because as soon as you walk out of here, your flesh, maybe even right now, is getting ready to put on a fight. And you're going to walk into the battle. And whenever these desires of the flesh rise up, we walk by the Spirit by trying to get at what I'm trying to be satisfied and say, I can taste and see that the Lord is good and that my pleasure in Him is infinite. I can never get to the bottom of it. I love how Thomas Watson puts it. He's an old Puritan pastor. He says, God is an ocean of goodness without bottom or shore. You can never exhaust God. And so, we walk by the Spirit by being so fully satisfied in the infinite goodness of God that we spoil sin's appetite. We don't need these other things because I'm feasting on God. So we walk by the Spirit by seeking the fulfillment of whatever that desire is in Jesus rather than the things of this world. And as we walk by the Spirit, who points us to Jesus, then we'll inherit the kingdom of God. That's the, that's the promise. And it's not because you overcame your sin, but because by the Spirit we look in faith to Jesus who overcame. And so we are inheritors of the kingdom all because of Jesus. So that's the nature, the promise, and the call. So two things as we close. Friend, the things of this world are terrible gods. They're slave masters. just enslave you. They promise things they never give. And they give you maybe an immediate rush, but they ultimately never satisfy. So turn to the God who made them by repenting of your worship, your idolatrous false worship of them, and trust in Jesus. For it's only in Jesus will you find what you've been longing for. And brothers and sisters, though the battle rages within us, do not be discouraged and do not set out the fight. Walk by the Spirit by looking to Jesus. Make Jesus the satisfaction of your soul in the daily fight of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we, we know our own hearts, and we know, left to ourselves, we would be powerless in this fight. And so we praise you that the Spirit was not just an add-on, but central to your saving purposes of, of, of gathering a people for the glory of your name from every people so we might be partakers not only of your love for us and your love within the divine trinity, but be able to walk with you, live for you, live how you've created us and saved us to live, to be your people in your world for the glory of your name. And so that I pray, Father, we would have a daily experience of the Spirit 
its power and its presence through your word so that we might glorify you in everything we say and do. I pray for those in this room who are struggling today. Those who might feel more conviction rather than grace. I do pray that you would cause us to hate our sin. But remind us of the great love of our Savior who's already conquered it. Who cut off its power so it no longer has dominion over us. And that we might walk in the newness of life in the power of your Spirit and have victory. And Father, I pray that as we walk by the Spirit, you would conform us more and more into the image of the one who the Spirit points us to and exalts, Jesus Christ. So help us, wherever we are in our walk, from one degree of glory to the next. May your Spirit set our eyes on Jesus and transform us into the one we behold. And we pray that more and more our neighbors and nations might come to know this Savior who saved them from sin and death by his very own blood. May we love one another as you have loved us, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.